Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. We're going to be there. We're going to be in a couple of places, and I gave you all the references on your sheet. I'm going to probably just quote a couple, not quote from memory, but like I have them on my notes. I may just kind of give you a few of those quickly tonight. I won't necessarily wait for everybody to get to every reference that I give you um, throughout the whole night, um, but I will let you get to Philippians. Um, but while you're getting there and kind of getting settled in, I kind of want to do an intro really quick about this series and like why I think we're doing it. Um, or why I, th- I think we should do it, and why I believe it's valuable to you guys. Um, first off, it's based off a book by a guy named Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma City at a Life Church. Uh, they're apparently one of the fastest growing churches in America, I think. Um, but he wrote this book based off a sermon series he did that I think is just really, really helpful, fantastic. It was great when I read it uh, about a year ago. I think it's going to be really helpful for you guys as we go through it as a study. But the whole book is kind of centered around technology and the role that technology has in our faith. And I don't know about you, but like I had this love-hate relationship with my phone and with technology and with social media and that kind of thing because we can all agree that it's brought a lot of great like um, positive things to our life, right? Like you wouldn't use it if it didn't bring benefits, hopefully. Um, but at the same time, we can't deny that it brings some like negative impacts as well sometimes in, in ways like we uh, become dependent on it and we begin to look at it as a source of comfort. And when we go through difficult times, we sometimes can use like things like social media, our phone, entertainment, as almost like a numbing agent, as a way to keep us from dealing with some real uh, problems. So it's got some awesome elements, but it's also got some some major struggles, hashtag struggles, if you will. I won't do that the whole time, I promise. That would be really annoying. Um, But uh, there's some issues that come with it. Uh, But think about this. Take a trip down memory lane with me for a moment. I want you to think about the first cell phone that you got. Ethan's laughing. Ethan probably had a cool cell phone. I had a Nokia brick. Remember those things? Little Nokia bricks that like you could not destroy? That was my first cell phone. And I remember I got it when I was 16, which probably seems like an old age to get it at this point, but it was a big deal at the time to be 16 and have a cell phone. But I remember my first computer. Think about your first computer. Mine was an e-machine. You guys remember e-machine? It's like a cheap Apple, yeah, or a knockoff Apple. I had that clear blue e-machine. I thought I was, man, it was so cool. Got to get on the internet, you know, and get on AIM and, you know, talk to my, my, my girl, you know, like middle school girlfriend, you know, on AIM or whatever, you know, like chat it up, you know, um, back on my e-machine. And then I remember my first iPhone. I, exactly. Yeah, my MySpace profile picture. I get my top eight, man. Uh, I remember even uh, my first iPhone, I got it when I was a senior in college because iPhones were just coming out during college. I remember the first time I saw one, I was like, who in the world would want that? Like I saw an iPhone, I'm like, why would you ever want the internet on your phone? Who cares to get on Facebook, like on your phone? Like, why do I need that in my life? And now I can't go anywhere without my phone, right? Like I'm, you know, we're all like, you know, so addicted to it. You're like, why would I not want to have access to the internet on my phone? I can Google anything ever. I don't have to argue about who won the national championship seven years ago. I can Google it, you know, like... And, um, and even like Amazon Prime, we have any, any Amazon Prime people? You first heard about it, you're like, who needs free two-day shipping? The answer is everybody needs free. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. And you get so used to it now. Like these days, I'm like, if, if my Amazon Prime is late for some reason, it's three days, I'm like mad. I'm like, why? Why is it late? I pay for this. You know, it's so funny how like things that we want, like we used to be like amazed by, now we, we just expect it and it becomes such an integrated part to our life. And uh, as great as that is, and as great as those things bring benefit, sometimes there's also some unintended consequences because even though we have like these advantages like free two-day shipping, and well, it's not free, but you, know, you pay something for it, um, those kind of things, those technological benefits, we still have the same age-old issues, things like uh, contentment, problems, discontentment, envy, jealousy, lust, pride, all those inner issues 
that technology can amplify sometimes. And sometimes we end up dealing with those struggles and we end up running to things like technology and social media as a way to kind of escape that. But in the end, it doesn't really allow a real escape. It just makes them worse sometimes. So that's why we're going to talk about this kind of stuff. Because I really think that social media and technology has changed this in some ways. Um, obviously, it's changed society. But um, anybody seen that Simon Sinek uh, video, that viral video that's going around about millennials in the workplace? Y'all might have seen that. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's pretty, pretty interesting. I think it's really good. But one thing he talks about is social media and our phones. Um, when we interact in that kind of way, our brain releases a chemical called dopamine. And it's a pleasure chemical. It releases whenever we do things that we enjoy, like eat really sugary food that tastes really good, um, things like that. But also it gets released when uh, we do other things like gamble, uh, like drink alcohol and other addictive things. And, uh, but that same chemical is released when we interact on social media and through our phones. That's why getting a text message makes you feel good and you want more text messages. And he jokes around the video like when you're sad and lonely, you just text a bunch of your friends and be like, hi, 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 and wait for someone to respond, you know? And, um, but there is an addictive element to it, uh, but one of the parts that comes along with that is we get really used to like immediate gratification, you know, and we're like really impatient these days, and then also we begin to crave attention, but at the same time, like, uh, we feel more connected because we have a thousand Facebook friends, right? But yet we may not be able to count on like one hand any like really close friends that we really interact with on a regular basis. We're also like, we're craving the approval of others, but yet we get better and better at like curating our lives and creating like a really good Instagram highlight reel, but not really, you know, like having deep, meaningful relationships with people. And we get really good at, you know, creating a great social media profile that makes us look like our life is perfect, but then our life is not perfect, you know, and that plays a a role and even affects the way that we live day to day and the kind of conversations we have. Because when we're used to putting our best face forward all the time online, that begins to have an impact, I think, on the way we interact with people and the way we're, you know, um, we're just honest and vulnerable with people. And so because of all that kind of stuff, we're going to spend some time this semester talking about some of these kind of things and some of these values that are affected by technology, and not just by technology, but just by life in general. And so we're going to um, talk about eight different ones and look at how the Bible provides some wisdom in these areas. So tonight we'll talk about contentment, but then we're going to talk about things like intimacy, authenticity, compassion, integrity, encouragement, worship, and rest. Those are our eight that we'll do throughout the whole semester. And I think it's going to be really, really helpful for you, regardless if, if, you, if you still are rocking the Nokia brick, this will be helpful for you. If you are, that's awesome. I, I have much respect for you. Um, but even if you're on like every social media profile available or anything in between, even if you don't have Facebook or Instagram, uh, I think it's going to be helpful for you because this stuff is timeless and it really kind of even supersedes some of those things. But some of my, uh, my application will be more in that direction of technology because I think a lot of us are there dealing with some of these things in different ways. So... But with that, we're talking about contentment tonight, contentment and comparison. And so one of the biggest issues that some researchers have like, said comes up with social media is the issue of um, constant comparison with other people. Because if you think about it, like 10 years ago, you're at home, you're eating your PB&J sandwich, or if you're like me, your turkey and mayonnaise sandwich. I'm really weird about turkey and mayonnaise, but I'm eating my sandwich. And normally you would have no idea what your buddy across town is eating for dinner, right? Even if it's like a Friday night, you're at home, you're just kind of chilling, you're having a meal in, you would have no idea that your friend across town is eating like a ribeye steak, right? Until Facebook and Instagram comes around, and now you can know what all your friends are having for dinner probably because they all post the picture of them. Maybe not. It's kind of old and no one does that anymore. Snapchat. They Snapchat. Thank you. I'm, I don't do Snapchat, so I don't know. 
snap things. So, um, <laughs> snapping. But, you know, years ago, you wouldn't have any idea, like, what your friends were doing. But these days, we're constantly inundated through technology and through social media about what everyone else is doing. And what happens is that it, it begins to become a problem of contentment because we end up comparing our lives and what we're doing even in the moment to other people. But the problem is the more we compare, the less satisfied we are with our lives. The more we compare, the less satisfied we are. And really, in the end, we're living in a society where we've never had more. We have so much these days, but yet we're still so unsatisfied and we still want so much more. That's one of the issues that comes up with it. And um, Stephen Furtick, a pastor up in um, one of the Carolinas, I forget where his church is at, he likes to say that social media, what it ends up doing is it makes us um, compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. So like we go through our everyday moments and we know the ins and outs and the highs and lows, but yet we go on social media and very few people post the tough moments of their day. We all have that friend who posts like their deepest, darkest emotions on Facebook, um, but most people don't. And so, um, so everyone else is like showing us the highlight reel and we're comparing our, our behind the scenes and, what, and what's going to happen. Of course, we're going to think, man, their life is so awesome. They've just got it figured out. I've got so much just junk, like, you know. If, if only I was more like Seth Tibbs, you know, like, or whatever, you know, like, um, we just make this comparison kind of thing, you know, and that's, I thought like that's a natural thing, but think about this, like, you're at home watching Netflix one night, you're just kind of chilling, and, and you get on Instagram, and you see a picture of your friends have gone out for the evening, what are you going to think? First off, you're like, why don't they invite me, I guess, but also, you just think, man, they're having so much fun, and here I am at home, or you're on campus, and you're eating, like, your third Annie Ann's cinnamon pretzel for the day, which... So good. But you're eating like number three and you're feeling a little bit not okay with yourself, with your life because you're eating three pretzels a day. And then you go on Instagram and your friend who does CrossFit has posted their wad photo of the day where it's like the work, workout of the day. And they take the, the mirror selfie, but then they like lift their shirt so you can see the, the eight pack. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't, yeah. They, and you feel really discontent with yourself at that point because of the comparison. And that those are all kind of like lighthearted things. But I think we all can relate to times where we've, we struggle with that jealousy in that comparison. And we've actually seen, I read a couple of blogs um, just recently in, in the Stephen, um, the uh, Simon Sinek video said the same thing, but um, studies have shown that actually the more time you spend on Facebook, the more, t- um, the more likely you are to be depressed. The higher rate of Facebook use, uh, the higher the rate of depression. And the reason um, researchers think this is true is because um, the more time you spend on social media, the more you tend to compare your life to other people's lives. And the funny thing is, is that in the comparison thing, like they said, it didn't even matter if you were like, if you thought your life was better than everyone else's life on Facebook, you still felt more depressed because it's the act of comparing yourself to other people made you naturally more depressed, which I thought was fascinating. It didn't matter if it was up or down. It still would lead to more depression. So it's really interesting. So that act of comparison in itself like, seems to suck the life out of us in some kind of way. And we'll see some scripture that I think supports that in a second. But before we get into the Philippians passage tonight, I want to do just a quick diagnostic of, of some discontentment. So if you will, like, participate with me, kind of think through in your own life. But I have three areas on your um, note sheet that are, I think, major areas of discontentment that we can struggle with and that we may have some issues in. Be honest with me, all right? Because I'm going to be honest with you in, in a lot of this tonight as well. But think through these areas and just kind of interact with me as we think through a few of them and, and some different areas you may need to expose some discontentment in. So look at that first one, uh, material and financial. So think about this, like um, whenever you see someone post online about like their car or like their vacation or their clothes, like is it a temptation for you to immediately begin to compare what they have to what you have, you know, or the quality of stuff they have to what you have? Or say you have a friend who studies abroad. Do you compare their summer in Italy with your summer of like working at Wendy's 
or something like that, you know, or just like the, the level of difference there between the two? Like, do you tend to see that and begin to maybe feel even a little bit jealous, even a little bit bitter in some ways? You maybe even begin to have the thoughts that, you know, I've never had, never had these thoughts of, you know, man, like, if I was that person, I would be so much more thankful than they are for the things that they have, you know, and I would just, you know, really use it better. Like, I've never had those thoughts. I'm much holier than that. But, um, you know, like, maybe you feel better and you feel those thoughts of, like, man, they're just not, they're just being showy. They're just bragging on social media for what they have. Like, um, has anyone ever been there with the material and financial discontent? Raise your hand if you have been. I'll be honest. I'm raising my hand because I, I have been, okay? All right, we got some honest people in the room. That's good. All right, second, relational. Relational, okay? Think about this one. Uh, when you stroll through Instagram and you see friends, like I said, posting pictures of their night out, you know, do you sometimes wonder, like, you know, why, did they, why didn't they invite you? Do you become a little envious that they maybe have more friends than you? At least it seems like they do. You know, not Facebook friends. Those aren't real friends. But, you know, like pe- people they're hanging out with, you know, we know, that. we know they're not real friends. Let's be honest. Uh, um, but like, or maybe even, like, think about this. It's spring. It's January. So what? It's ring by spring's coming, right? You know, so- soon enough. All the social media will be girls in their, you know, their engagement photo. They got to put the hand on the dude's chest and have the scenic, you know, like river walk background, you know, and like the, the friend in the bushes taking the picture. I'm not making fun of that stuff. It just happens a lot, you know, but like, um, I guess I am making fun of it, but, um, but, but like, but you're going to see that it's coming. It's coming, right? You know, like, do you struggle when you begin to see those? Do you, do you begin to feel, man, like, am I the only single person in the world anymore? You know, like, yeah, it seems like everyone else is peering off. You begin to feel some jealousy. You begin to feel maybe even to get real, like unwanted. Maybe you begin to ask the question, is something wrong with you? You know, listen, I'm almost 30 and I'm not married, okay? I've had those feelings many times, okay? <laughs> Being honest, okay? I, almost all my friends are married and almost all of them are getting to where they're having kids, okay? I've had those feelings way more than I want to admit, okay? Just being honest. It happens, you know? So like, even with that, like, you know you want to be happy for your friends, but sometimes it's hard to be happy for them because you feel like the the kid at the middle school dance who's left over in the corner, right? And this happens sometimes. So can anyone relate to that? We have any people who are not just the dating part, but even like the friends part. Okay, I think we've all been there before. Last one is this, and we'll move on to the passage. Um, It's circumstantial. This is more like catch-all. But maybe you struggle with just feeling like other people just have it better off than you. They've arrived in life. They've got life more figured out. Um, Maybe you look at other people who seem to be doing better in school. Maybe they live in a place, not that you ever would want to live anywhere but Tuscaloosa, but maybe they live somewhere that you, know, you like more uh, than where you're at right now. Or maybe they seem to be just overall more successful. You know, um, maybe you just struggle with that discontentment of seeing other people whose circumstances seem better than you. Anyone ever been there before? Not everyone has to raise their hand. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I can relate to that too as well in some ways, especially in my awkward like post-college like when I graduated from college, the economy was just terrible. And so I spent a couple of years just kind of floundering, just doing whatever I could find to do for jobs. And that was really disheartening. And my other buddies who had actually landed good jobs, it was really hard to not compare my life to theirs and be like, man, like, God, why have you not allowed me to experience this kind of stuff? So it's just, it's just life. It's just happens sometimes. And so this discontentment stuff is real. So what I want us to do is let's look at this passage here in a second. But let's talk about dealing with discontentment. Because you've probably heard it before. Your parents might have told you. But Life is really 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. I used to tell my high school students that all the time. I forget why. It was some reason I told them that. But life is 10% what happens and 90% how you respond. Um, But a lot of times we live the opposite. We live like life is 90% what happens to you and 10% how you respond. Right? This is how we tend to live. But the Apostle Paul gives us some incredible wisdom, I believe, for us when it comes to that. 
and when it comes to dealing with discontentment. Because if you know anything about Paul, you know, he spent a lot of time in prison, a lot of time getting run out of cities and that kind of thing. And in the book of Philippians, he's writing to a church in Philippi who spent a lot of time encouraging him and blessing him. And he's writing from a prison cell. And if you were with us way back in the day at ABC, when we went through the book of Philippians, you know that the prison that he was in was like a what? Yeah, like a hole in the ground. I knew Michaela. She, she says all she remembers from that series is that the prison was a hole in the ground. Nothing about the spiritual wisdom, just the hole in the ground. Um, yeah, it was like a, it literally was like a hole in the ground. Like it was a very gross place. He spent 24 hours a day chained to a guard. They took shifts. It wasn't all the time, but like he was chained to a guard all the time. Not a great place to be. But in the last chapter of Philippians, he writes this. This is verses 12 and 13. I gave it to you. Um, this is what he says to the. Um, to his audience he's writing to. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we usually read that verse and we think of like, you know, you paint that under your eyes on your like, you know, black thing where you're about to go play a football game. You know, you like quote it before you go like run or something like you can do all things. The, Christ, you know, the context is not really that. You can argue if we can use it for that. But the context is really contentment. It's really the actual context of this passage. And it's amazing how Paul really, in that, he says he's know, he knows how to be brought low and how to abound. He, he, what he's saying is, in every season, he's found the secret to contentment. Whether he's in feast or whether he's in famine, he's found the, um, the secret to contentment, and it's found in Christ. And so I gave you this on your sheet, but this is a profound truth we've got to start with, otherwise we're going to get this totally wrong. It's this, is that you will always battle with discontentment until you let Christ be all you need. You will always battle with discontentment until you let Christ be all you need. Because the thing is, because of sin and because of the fact that we've all rebelled against God, um, there's a void in our lives, there's a void in our hearts that only God can fill. Because of the brokenness of sin and the fact that we were made to have a relationship with God, um, we all are on this constant path uh, of striving, of searching for something to satisfy us, and we have this hole in our lives. And many people, as they begin to realize that, begin to look for that fulfillment in something. Uh, they look for it in relationships, in people. They look for it in, in, uh, in success, in money, you know, in whatever. You can make a whole list of things they look for fulfillment in. But the truth is that even if you were to find all that success in that thing, if you were to you know, have the white picket fence with the house and the 2.5 kids and the successful career and the everything you ever wanted, even if, you didn't want to, if, you, even if your dream is to live in a tiny house in like, you know, Oregon or something, like even if you achieved all that, the God-sized hole in your heart is still going to be there. And we're always going to experience emptiness and brokenness in our lives until we find, it, find fullness in Christ. And so you will always experience discontentment until you first find true life in Christ, by abiding in him. That's what we were made for. Uh, Jim Carrey, you know, the actor, comedian guy, like uh, been a lot of different things. Uh, he had a quote from an interview. He said this, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And that's Jim Carrey. I don't think he's a Christian. Like, I don't know much about him. I don't think he's a Christian. But he said that he, he wished that everybody could get rich and famous so they could see it's not enough. It's not the answer that we still have this void in our lives. And so there's no substance, there's no relationship, there's no thing or circumstance that's going to fill that void apart from Christ. No amount of parties or girlfriends or money or success can do it. Uh, St. Augustine, he's an um, a early church father. He wrote this awesome book called The Confessions, which is like a 300-page prayer. In that book, he says this to God at one point. He says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
that our hearts are restless until they find the rest in God because we were made for him. And I, I love that quote. I think I used it a lot last year in our last study. Um, but the thing I want you to kind of take away from this first part is that it's really not until we find out and figure out that Christ is all we really have that we realize he's all we really need. It's not until we fi- figure out that Christ is all that we really have in life because everything else is going to pass away. No amount of money, success, anything like that, it's ever going to last eternity. But when we realize that Christ is all we have, we'll see he's all we need as well. And that's got to be the foundation because as we talk about overcoming envy and overcoming comparison, we have to realize that abiding in Christ has got to be the foundation. Otherwise, everything else is going to be a waste. Okay? But with that, I want to give you three things, I think three commitments that I think are really helpful for you as we talk about fighting comparison and fighting uh, discontentment. And I gave you uh, a few, or I gave you all three on your note sheet. But first off, through Christ's strength, you see that on there, that's the key. We already talked about that, the foundation. Through Christ's strength, we'll do three things, okay? The first is we will kill, you kind of wonder what that is, right? I didn't realize I put we will kill blank. It could be like we will kill each other. No, we're not doing it. Okay, that'd be really bad. No, we will kill comparison. <laughs> yeah, we will have hunger games. No, we will kill comparisons. We will kill comparisons. It's an alliteration thing, right? That's why it's kill comparisons. So there's a great old quote that I used to um, give to C.S. Lewis, and I realized I was lying in church for a long time because it's not him. It's Theodore Roosevelt that once said, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And Roosevelt said it, not Lewis. I've lied so many times in church. Forgive me, Lord. Um, I didn't didn't know. I I knew not what I did. Um, But uh, no, but... But Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I've, that's a profound quote that I've seen over and over again play out true in my life and other people's lives, that comparison steals our joy. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians ten twelve, I gave you that on there. Um, I'm just going to read it for you. He says this. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are committing themselves, but when they measure themselves excuse me, by one another, and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Some translations say uh, they are not wise. So we see right there, even with Paul in another place, that when we measure ourselves by one another, when we compare ourselves with one another, we're without understanding. We're not wise. It's not a wise thing to do, is what Paul's saying. Andy Stanley, pastor up in Georgia, says it this way, really simple. There's There's no win in comparisons. There's no win in comparisons, right? No one wins whenever you compare each other, right? Everyone always loses. Even with the Facebook depression thing, like upward or downward, comparison, depression, you always lose. But in James, this is one I really want you to, it, turn to this one with me, James 3, if you want to um, flip or scroll, however you're looking at it. But look at James 3, 14 through 16. I want you to see this specifically because it's, it's a powerful verse, I think, to talk about this. But James 3, 14 through 16. I'll give you one sec. Bible drill time, right? All right, I only hear a few few pages pages flipping. I'll go ahead and start reading. You can, those of you who are still looking, you can catch up in a second. Um, James three, fourteen through sixteen says this: uh, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So I want you to look at that really quick and see what James says about envy and selfishness. Because the first part there talking about 
did not boast and be false to the truth. What James is teaching this there is something really important. It's the first step of repentance. The first step of, uh, step of repentance is to own your sin, by the way. Like if we ever really want to repent and experience growth in holiness and growth in our walk with Christ, the first step when we are confronted with a sin is to own it. Not to say that, well, you know, make up excuses of, you know, well, I was you know, just distracted or I was, you know, just busy. I was tired, you know, or to say, oh, it was this external environment that made me do it. No, the first step to true repentance is to own it. Say, yeah, that's something I did. Like, that's me. That's my heart. That's messed up with sin. I own that, but I want to change. I want to repent of that. So James shows us that there. But the second thing is he, he shows us what we need to call envy and jealousy. And this is the hard part. He uses three words. What are they? Earthly, unspiritual. And what's that last one? Demonic. Would you ever say that jealousy is a battle with demonic forces? Probably not on your own, right? You probably wouldn't call it that. But that's what James 3 is saying, right? It's saying that jealousy is really a battle with demonic forces. It's jealousy in itself is demonic. It's a sin, right? That's not a word we use very much, demonic, but that's what James is telling us is that envy and jealousy and discontentment in comparison in those kind of ways is a sin. And it's something that we need to take very seriously. And that's very convicting to me, even as I've studied this, is how many times we can easily give in to jealousy and comparison and discontentment. But James specifically calls it a sin that we need to deal with because sin breaks God's heart. Right? And if we want to continue to grow in Christ and honor God with our lives, we want to, stray, we want to flee away from things that break, breaks God's heart. So I'm going to give you kind of a few practical suggestions about how we can kill comparison, how we can get rid of some of this stuff. And this is mainly in terms of technology. One is uh, take a break from social media. I know social media fasting is a thing, and maybe if you've never done that, it might be a good time to try it. This semester as we go through this study, it might be a good time to try taking a week, two weeks, even a month away from social media. Uh, Lent is coming up in April. You could even do it, uh, do it then. But maybe even not that. Maybe that's too much for you. Maybe you have certain people uh, that tend to trigger some comparison and some uh, discontentment and some jealousy in your life. I'll be honest. I have certain people that I have unfollowed on Facebook and Instagram, not because of them, but because of me. And they were triggers for me. That I just um, it would well up some emotions and thoughts that I just didn't need to have with terms of jealousy, discontentment, and just criticism. And it's not their fault. It's my fault. It's my own sin. But I said, you know what? I don't need it. You know, you don't take an alcoholic into the, alcohol, the ABC store. You know, I don't need to follow these people on Instagram right now. You know, it seems extreme, but demonic forces, right? Put it away. So, that's, so that might be something. You maybe need to unfollow. You know how to, you're, you're tech savvy people. You know how to unfollow people on Facebook. So, um, but maybe something else. Like maybe like shopping and materialism is uh, a struggle with you. Maybe you need to take the Amazon app off your phone. Maybe you need to take uh, some shopping apps off your, off your phone. Stop watching QVC. No one watches QVC. Stop watching, you know, whatever, stop watching whatever it is, you know, if you watch shopping things. Stop watching HG, HGTV if you have too many issues with, you know, like dreaming up these elaborate, grandiose houses that you're going to live in one day that may not meet your expectations later on. Um, but even maybe something like, maybe you struggle with things like uh, going to car shows, boat shows, hunting shows, that kind of thing where you're putting yourself in an environment where it encourages you to constantly be comparing yourself to other people with things. Like whatever it is, find a first step to kill the comparison. Maybe something simple like, um, maybe for you, you need to stop checking your Facebook or even having your phone near you when you first wake up in the morning. Like for me, one thing that I've started doing really just yesterday, I've determined I don't need my phone in my room, my bedroom anymore. I'm putting it in the living room. I'm going old school. I got me an alarm clock again. So I'm, I'm rocking the alarm clock and uh, it scared the junk out of me this morning because I'm not used to it. And uh, it was weird, but I'm just, because my temptation is to get on, like open up my phone, check text messages, check Instagram, check Facebook. I've wait, I find I've wasted 15 minutes of my day. 
not filling my mind with the right things at the beginning of the day. I don't really need to know what my friend, you know, was funny cat video my friend shared, you know, on the first thing in my day. Better ways to start my day, okay? And so maybe that's something you could do. But the, the key is this, find one simple thing to do. If this is an issue for you, find that one initial step, okay? Second thing is this, is we will celebrate others' blessings, okay? You, you've all heard like the 12 steps of the Alcoholic Anonymous program, right? You probably heard that thing before. We know what the first step usually is. We joke about it like, you know, admit there's a problem, right? We've heard of that. Um, but anybody know what the, besides Ethan and T.O., does anybody know what the last step of the, uh, they were listening to this thing with me. T.O. was asleep, so never mind, but <laughs> Ethan was. Uh, <laughs> he actually. I, I listened to it and went to sleep the second time. I okay, never mind. Okay. Does anybody know what the 12th step in the Alcoholics Anonymous program is? I wouldn't expect you to know. I'd be really impressed if you did. The last step is this. It's to help another alcoholic overcome their alcoholism. To help another person overcome their alcoholism. And studies have shown that if you don't complete that last step, you can complete all 11. But if you don't finish the last one, there's a high chance you're going to revert, revert back into alcoholism. And the reason that's the case is because the AA program knows this, is that it's only when we begin, when we begin to step outside of ourselves and begin to love and serve other people that we truly begin to experience freedom from some of our own struggles. And so for us, if contentment is an issue for you, one way to help overcome that is simply by beginning to celebrate the blessings of others. Instead of being tempted to compare and to be jealous and envious, is to celebrate. I gave you Romans twelve fifteen. It's a super simple verse. It says, rejoice with those who, who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, but the first part is more applicable for us at this time, but like rejoice with those who rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice with those uh, who are rejoicing over the same thing you already have. Right? It just says rejoice, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, even if you don't have what they're rejoicing about, right? So one way that we can overcome comparison and discontentment is by celebrating others' blessings. Uh, I love the way Pastor Keith says it. He says um, it's impossible to be jealous and thankful at the same time. To be jealous and thankful at the same time. And so... When we struggle with jealousy, nothing helps snuff out the flames of jealousy more than, than gratitude, right? Because so, so when you're being tempted to be jealous of someone, to envy someone, whether it be social media or not, um, take some time and maybe do this instead. Pray to God, even in your mind, and thank God for blessing them. And just thank God for giving them whatever it is. And just thank him for blessing him. And even ask him to bless them more, right? And I think you'll find that, that that thankfulness and that prayer for them will begin to snuff out some flames, of, uh, of ungratitude and discontentment. Because to be honest, just to be a little vulnerable with you, this has been a big struggle for me. This has been, been a big thing for me for about the past three or four years um, for a couple of different reasons. I shared one, that I am almost 30 and, uh, and single. I'm not planning to be a lifer. Like, I don't plan to be single my whole life. And so, like, my friends who, uh, who have gotten married and had kids, there's been times I've been a little bit jealous of that, you know? And I've struggled with the social media posts and, you know, and the reveal parties and that kind of thing, you know, and, and all that. And it's been an issue for me. And so, for me, it's been a challenge, even as I look through the study, to begin to combat that kind of stuff uh, with celebrating their blessings and celebrating that kind of stuff. But even when it comes to more recent, um, as a college minister, you know, you might think the college minister, what is all rainbows and unicorns? Um, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah, it says like, no, it's not. Um, but like, sometimes it's, it can be really tempting to even compare my ministry to ministries of other churches in town. I, I look, you know, like I follow a bunch of um, Instagram profiles of other college ministries in town. And it's easy sometimes like to go home um, from even like a thing like this, although I love this kind of stuff, and to look at, you know, their church and see the 200 kids they had, you know, they're at a worship service that night. And I begin to think, man, like, they're really reaching the campus. Like, they're really, not that 
we're not, but like, man, they're really doing some good stuff, you know? And this comparison begins to pop up. But hear me out. Like, I love my job. I love you guys. I love being your college minister. I'm not going anywhere, okay? But I'm just being honest. It can be a comparison thing. It's a struggle sometimes, you know? And so, like, um, I've had conversations with other college ministers about the same thing, where they have to unfollow certain accounts because it just, it's not a beneficial thing for them, okay? Yet again, it's not the other person's fault. It's their fault, all right? It's their issue to deal with, but there's ways we can eliminate that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to even celebrating the blessings of others, one hard question is, even as we pray and thank God for that blessing that person's receiving, even as we ask God to bless them more, we have to ask the hard question of, what if God chose to bless them more than you? You know, like, what if I, you know, pray for the college ministry down the street, you know, that I feel like we're you know, doing better than or whatever, and I ask God to bless them, and then God does, and they start doing way better than, than my ministry, you know? Am I okay with that kind of thing? And... To be honest, sometimes it's an inner heart issue that I have to wrestle with. But even if it's not a ministry thing, maybe for you it's just a, a person that you struggle with. Like you tend to compare yourself to them a lot. If you begin to put this into practice of praying and thanking God for those blessings and asking God to bless them, would you be okay if God chose to bless them more than you? You know? Because in the end, we've got to get out of this self, kind of just self-centered mindset of just our own little kingdom and begin to focus on the big kingdom and to focus on God's will being done over our will being done. Because when we, it's when we get to that point that we really begin to let go and see God do some amazing things. And I can't like prove this next thing, next thing I'm going to say. There's nothing in scripture that really supports it. And it might not always be true, but it, it could be possible. It could be possible that being upset that God is blessing someone else might be the reason God's not blessing you. Might be the reason. I'm not saying it's necessarily true, right? But would it make sense that in that upset attitude you have to where you're making everything about you, that God would choose not to bless you in that area to get your attention? I'm just saying it's possible. Okay? I'm not saying the scripture that backs it up, but it's just a possibility. It's a challenging thought to have, right? Challenging thought to have that those feelings, of, feelings of, envy, um, of envy and bitterness might be the reason you're not experiencing blessing in those areas. It's because of that. Challenging thought. It was challenging for me. I hope it um, is for you. But last point, and we'll begin to, to wrap up, is this. Um, we will cultivate gratitude. You might have expected that one, but we will cultivate gratitude. It's the last commitment we're going to make. Um, I've heard it said before that the envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. That envy is resenting God's goodness in, your, in other people's lives and ignoring his goodness in your life. Proverbs fifteen fifteen I gave you, says this. It says, all the days of the afflicted are evil. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I love that. The cheerful of heart has a continual feast. We all have friends probably that like, it seems like they're always complaining about something. Like they're always looking for like the, the, the bad things in life, like the, the reason to complain. Like they're having a great day, but man, it's going to rain tomorrow. You know, I made an A on that test, but man, I have homework due tonight. You know, like, it's always something to complain about. You know, I thought like the first half of that verse is kind of talking about that person. But the second half, the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. What it's saying is that right there, if you look at all of life as the blessing that you don't deserve, life can become even a feast. Not like a perfect feast. You know, there's issues. We, 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 deal, we live in a broken world. But as you begin to look for the things you can celebrate, it begins to change your, your perspective. Um, Scott Herndon is one of our deacons here. He plays bass in the praise team. He's also going to have all you over for lunch on Sunday if you want to go to his house for red, for red beans and rice as an aside. But Scott Herndon is one of our deacons. He loves Dave Ramsey. And uh, a big Dave Ramsey thing is if you ask Dave or Scott how they're doing, he's going to respond with this. You may have experienced it. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Better than I deserve. 
better than I deserve. And I love that um, because it's just, that, that's like such a great attitude to have when it comes to this. Like the fact that we're alive, that we have food to eat, even though it might not, you know, be as much as you guess you want from chili or whatever, you know, or like, I don't know. Um, but it, I don't know, I had a weird brain moment there for a second. Bring it back in. Um, the fact that we live in the country we do, the fact that we're even here tonight means that we have a lot to be thankful for and that it's, we don't deserve that in many ways. And so if we focus on those things versus the things we don't have, it begins to change our perspective. Uh, one more verse I'll give you and we'll wrap up. It's this, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says this. Remember, by the way, that Solomon wrote this and Solomon was like the richest guy of his time. Some say based on like, you know, inflation and that kind of stuff, he might've been the richest person of all time said this in Ecclesiastes 6, 9. He says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Uh, I love the way the NLT, the New Living Translation says it. It's so simple. It says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't. So if you're struggling with contentment issues, start practicing that verse. Start looking at what you have instead of getting caught up in what you don't have. Because a lot of times that Instagram envy envy of being jealous over that person and what they're getting to do at the time, the chances are they feel the same way about you just in a different season, right? It works both ways many times. So if you're tempted to complain about your car, realize that if you have a car, you're in the top 8% of the world. Only 8% of the world has a car. If you're upset about, you know, a professor giving you a super hard test or giving you too much homework, realize that you're in a very privileged position in, in the world to even be attending a, a university, especially a university like this. If you feel like you're too busy in life, think about, well, why am I too busy? Because I go to school, because I have a job, because I have friends, because I have a family, all things to be thankful for. Even if you're busy for it, there are good reasons to be thankful, Right? So look for those things in life to begin to battle that discontentment. And even one thing that um, me and Haley were talking about this other day, and she's reading this book right now, where it encourages you to write down every day five things that you're thankful for, but never use the same ones every day. So the first day you're like, thankful for my family, thankful for my dog, thankful for my, you know. And the first couple of days you're doing like some, you know, good things, but simple things. You get about a week or two in, you're like, I have to think about it more. And you begin to realize, man, I'm, I have a lot to be thankful for. So maybe for you, that could be a journaling thing for the next week or two. You begin to write down every day five things you're thankful for. And it will change your perspective. Okay? So as we close, I want uh, to read that verse from Philippians one more time and we'll wrap up. Uh, Philippians 4, 12, and 13. It says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So through Christ's power, let's make the commitment to kill comparison, to celebrate others' blessings, and to cultivate gratitude, knowing that we were made to know God, made to have a relationship with him. We only will find true satisfaction in Christ. Until then, everything else is just chasing after the wind. But once we find it in him, we need to make a commitment to begin to put aside those things that would tempt us to be jealous and to compare so that we can find our true identity and satisfaction in him. So I got a few questions for you there. Under the discussion part, uh, it's like 8.47-ish, so you got about 15-ish minutes to discuss. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and I want you guys to take just a few minutes to discuss those three questions, and uh, then I'll come back right around 9 o'clock, and I'll pray for us, and uh, we'll be done. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, that every day, every moment, every breath is a breath that we don't deserve. Uh, Lord, um, but if we're honest, we're, we're tempted to, to take all that for granted, and to get so caught up in looking at what other people have 
looking at the, the blessings that you've given them, Lord. And, uh, and it's just so easy to get discontent, Lord, and begin to ask questions of, well, why don't we have that, Lord? And, and to not find our true satisfaction and identity in you and what you've already done for us, Lord. So I pray for these students, Lord, as, um, as they ask these kind of questions and wrestle with this issue, Lord, that you would open their hearts from your, from your word tonight, Lord, from this message, through your spirit, that you would just um, open their eyes to see maybe some areas they need to give over to you, maybe some steps they need to take to fight discontentment in their life, to, to kill the comparison, Lord, and to embrace gratitude in their lives, Lord. And, and through that, I pray that students around them on campus and in jobs and in class, Lord, would see that thankfulness, see that, see that gratitude in their lives, Lord, and ask questions about how can you be so thankful? How can you be so positive, Lord? And that can lead to them being able to share the gospel and share about the hope they have within them. So we ask you would just guide us in this discussion, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.